Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Recovery Talk. Not sure if anyone noticed but I actually had a week where I didn't have uh, an episode and (laughs) basically I made an episode and I was trying to explain this concept and I was really listening to myself trying to explain this concept and I was just like whoa I'm not explaining this well and I just deleted the episode and also because I was answering a listener question and I realized I had already answered that listener question in the episode the week before and I just didn't have any other episodes uh, pre-recorded and ready and I didn't have a chance to make another episode like on the day so I was just like you know what I'm just gonna have a week without an episode then But I will try and, you know, keep doing the weekly episodes. I have been launching episodes every week since the fall of 2021. So I've been going for quite some time now. I am finally done with my exams, although I still have a master thesis to write. You will hear more about my thesis later. And also, I'm in the process of uh, adopting a dog. Very early in the process, I'm basically just contacting different shelters and going to go visit and check out some candidates. So I will keep you guys updated on that as well, even though it's not necessarily related to my podcast. But I don't think you understand how I am with dogs. If I have a dog, that dog is going to be my life. It's going to be my co-host for this podcast. (laughs) Anyways, guys, let's get started on this week's topic. So this week, I want to talk about quote-unquote healthy eating in recovery and notice how I put that in quotation marks and that is for a very important reason because basically what society considers typical healthy eating is maybe not what is actually the healthiest option mentally and physically in recovery. So in this episode I'm going to talk a bit about why health is relative and why over-focusing on eating quote-unquote, healthy in recovery may not be the healthiest thing to do. So as a recovery coach, so, so often I will have clients say to me something like this. So I'm in recovery, but it's very important for me to eat healthy, you know, and this is often being used as kind of a reason why not to challenge certain fear foods. And the fear foods would be the so-called unhealthy foods. And I think very often these behaviors are kind of glossed over by society and sometimes even encouraged, right? Because if someone is, you know, the person who's always choosing the salad instead of the pizza at the restaurant, you know, this is something that society sometimes can say is, oh, that's just, you know, willpower or being determined to your health and all of these things. And I think very often it's very easy for people with eating disorders to convince themselves that this is actually just a genuine wish to take care of my health. But is it really healthy? Is it really taking care of your health to order that salad instead of the pizza? So here's the thing. During my recovery, when I started becoming more flexible with the kind of foods I ate, instead of following these rigid rules and being obsessed with reading the uh, nutrients and ingredients of everything, when I started like just being able to just order some takeaway and grab something on the go, not only did I mentally become healthier, but I also became so much healthier physically. I think it's so important to remember that our bodies are not these fragile little things that can't handle a preservative. And you know, these things such as preservatives and additives and so-called processed foods are very often demonized by society. 
And I honestly think part of the reason why they're demonized is because people don't understand it, right? Like there is this like quote within some health communities that, oh, if your grandmother don't know what something means, then don't eat it because then it's not healthy. And I can reassure you, my grandmother probably don't know what Gucci berries and chia seeds is. So then should I not eat it, <laughs> you know? I follow this wonderful woman on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is food science babe in one word. And essentially what she's doing is she is debunking a lot of myths about processed foods, preservatives. She's actually a chemical engineer slash food scientist. So she has knowledge about this. And she's just responding to a lot of these very fear-mongering TikToks or YouTube videos or tweets about certain ingredients and preservatives. And it's just, just breaking it down, the science of it, and saying, hey, you know, this is what these things mean. And is it harmful or not? And usually you see it's actually not as dangerous as people make it seem like it is. Actually, it's tends to be completely safe. And over worrying about things such as the food being processed or preservatives or additives is actually more unhealthy than actually just eating it and being more flexible. And I'm recommending this Instagram specifically because I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they like that I kind of debunk and give some science, right? So I was thinking if you are someone who struggle with, you know, fear of specific foods or ingredients and kind of that orthorexia mindset, I think the Instagram food science babe is could be very helpful. I'm not affiliated with her in any way. I don't think she knows I exist, but <laughs> I'm just recommending the account because I think it's a pretty good account that I recommend it to quite a few clients. Then again, I also think that the goal should be to come to a point where you don't even need to know like what these things mean or need to have it debunked in order to eat it safely. I don't want you to, for the rest of your life to have to get reassurance that it's okay to eat something to actually eat it. But if you are in a recovery process, then of course this can be very helpful. So could be worth checking out. Anyways, guys, so what does healthy mean? What does that even mean, right? Because we kind of have the diet culture meaning of healthy, and then you have the more flexible and I guess recovery oriented meaning of healthy. Diet culture will tell us that healthy is low calorie, which is kind of ironic when you think of it in terms of eating disorders, especially like restrictive eating disorders, where it is the energy deficit, right? The lack of calories has been creating severe mental and physical health problems. So then how can low calorie automatically be healthy when it is kind of the root of a lot of the health problems you may be experiencing is the low calories. And I know some people are going to say, yeah, but what about binging? And yeah, I understand what you're saying, but we often see in, I would say the majority of cases that I, I when I work with people, et cetera, et cetera, the binging is rooted in restriction, AKA the low calorie intake. Because as I have spoken about time and time again, Binging is a completely natural response to restriction. And the key bit of recovery is to correcting that energy deficiency will then correct the binging with time. But yeah, I've spoken about that in so many episodes. So if you haven't checked it out already, do check out former episodes about binging, extreme hunger, etc., etc. This is actually one of my favorite topics within recovery spaces and also to research because there's so much research on this. It's easier to, you know, it's not just like this abstract concept. It's something where you can actually go in and see what's happening with the body when it's being um, exposed to famine restriction. Like on a biological level, there are changes going on. But anyways, guys, let's get back to healthy. What is healthy? Okay, so you have the diet culture meaning, which is low calorie. 
And one thing I want to kind of make you mindful of is that when it comes to diet culture, diet culture constantly shifts what is healthy, right? So you have low calorie, which has kind of been like a bit of like an established, uh, oh, this is healthy thing from diet culture. But you also see that other macronutrients are routinely being demonized and praised. Let me expand on that. So macronutrients is essentially things such as carbohydrate, protein, fats, right? So what we see is that if we go back a few decades, it was fats that was heavily, heavily demonized by society or diet culture. And carbohydrates were not as demonized, right? And so that's what people were, for instance, eating a lot of like rice cakes. That was like the ultimate like diet food, right? But now things have shifted a bit where it is carbohydrates that are bad and fats are I mean, depending on what space you are in diet culture, because it's highly inconsistent. You may be in some spaces where fat is demonized, right? But fat is in in general slightly less demonized than it was and carbohydrates are more demonized, right? And you also see protein is not as demonized. That tends to be applauded. And don't get me wrong, protein is super important for us. Of course we need protein, but it's kind of being a little bit exaggerated, right? It makes us seem like we don't need much carbohydrates, but we need a ton of protein. And diet culture loves to say high protein, low carb. These are like good things, right? And low fat sometimes is a good thing. And other times it is like, oh, if you're on low carb, you need to eat uh, high fats. But here is the thing. People with eating disorder have a tendency to do what I kind of call selective mirroring, where they will mirror the behaviors that fit the agenda of eating disorder. So for example, if they have a friend that is on a low carb, high fat diet, Uh, they are more likely to mirror and kind of feel triggered and want to copy the low-carb behavior rather than the high-fat behavior. So they're more likely to maybe go and eliminate their uh, carbohydrate and reduce their carbohydrate intake, but then actually adding in a bunch of fats that may be less likely to do that part, right? Because eating disorder likes taking away more than it likes to add. So I think that is one thing that's very important to remember is diet culture and the eating disorder is highly inconsistent with what is healthy or not and also very illogical with what is healthy or not it follows trends where sometime that food would be the ultimate holy grail and then another time it will be bad so a lot of bad and good and i have a previous episode that episode is called orthorexia and men with eating disorders and it was with jason wood where we spoke about you know orthorexia and this whole like moral purity this good or bad and how it becomes almost like a religious thing so if you want to talk a bit no, listen a bit more to uh orthorexia and like how that becomes almost like a religion then definitely check out that episode that me and jason did a little while back The other thing with diet culture perception of health is that it is highly generalized when actually the concept of health is something that's very individual. What is healthy for one person might not be healthy for another person, you know? Peanut butter might be a lovely food, but not if you are allergic to peanuts. An example from my personal life. I have something called POTS, which is a form of dysautonomia that's been really knocking me out lately. And part of my treatment is I need to eat an abnormally high salt intake. So for a lot of people, it is recommended, oh, reduce your salt intake, reduce your salt intake, right? And you see that X amount is the maximum recommended amount of salt, blah, 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 right? And if you go to the grocery store and you see something says low salt, low sodium, that is being sold as like a good thing, right? 
But in my case, uh, I am recommended by my treatment team to consume between three to five grams salt a day minimum. So basically, I have to actively seek out high sodium foods, salt tablets, all of these things to get a lot of salt because I need more salt than the average person for my heart and my nervous system, which is not working correctly. And I know this is, of course, a bit more of like a niche example, but imagine if my response was to my treatment team was, oh, but too much salt is bad for you. It's not recommended. Then they would say, yeah, but for you, it's recommended because you really need it. Your body really need it. And if I were to eliminate all salts, I will uh, faint and <laughs> fall to the ground. <laughs> So, of course, that is understandable. And I can imagine when you're listening to this, you're just like, yeah, that makes complete sense. But then how come that people with eating disorders, when I, as, you know, part of the treatment team, would work with them and say, hey, I think it could be very good for you mentally and physically to increase your intake, implement more fear foods, because that is what is shown time and time again to be good for eating disorder recovery. Then their response very often will be, to think, oh, but X, Y, Z is not good for you because, and then talk about some diet culture stuff or some, oh, but the nutritional guideline says this or that, right? How come you're able to have that compassion and insight that everybody is different when it comes to everyone else but you? Because I know the same people, if they were to have a friend in eating disorder recovery, they would be able to recommend, oh, I can see that you are not challenging your fear foods. You're not eating the foods you really crave. You're kind of depriving yourself, not eating enough energy. You should increase. They will be able to see that. But when it comes to themselves, it's like, nope. And same thing goes with calorie intake in general. So I have a lot of uh, people in recovery that talk to that, very hung up on, oh, 2000 calories. That is the recommended daily intake. First of all, if you actually dig a bit into the history and how that 2000 calorie that random number came from you see that actually it's not very scientific <laughs> i'll go more into that in the future because it's a whole story but even if hypothetically it was true that 2000 calories was the average daily intake which is not but let's just say it was right if you are going through hypermetabolism or if you're going through eating disorder recovery where you actually need more calories mentally and physically then what, who cares what the recommended intake is for someone else? The same way that my recommended salt intake because of my particular health condition is a lot higher than someone without my health condition. I do also want to emphasize that when I say this, this does not mean that, oh, you're in recovery, so you're allowed to eat X, Y, Z, but then when you're out of recovery, you can't eat it. This is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you will naturally and intuitively notice that in recovery, what tends to happen is that you're going to be very hung up on those foods you've been forbidding yourself from. And then with time and refeeding and eating, food becomes just food. Sometimes it's very enjoyable. Other times you just grab something on the go. If you're putting food on a pedestal, especially specific foods on a pedestal, then chances are you probably don't eat them enough. So now we've established a few things already. We've established that diet culture is highly inconsistent with what it demonizes and what it praises. Very illogical in terms of these little slogans and rules that it throws out. Doesn't make much sense. And we also have spoke about how health is relative and individual and how diet culture likes to portray it as it is not. As it is just, this is healthy, this is not. Very black-white thinking and something that's not necessarily black and white. It's more gray. 
And then let's talk about another thing, because this is something that you maybe see when you dig a bit more into this desire to eat so-called healthy in recovery. Very often people in recovery, they feel like eating so-called healthy in recovery, not because of a genuine, genuine, like I want to do what's best for my body and brain, right? Because if they did, then they would probably follow the more (laughs) widely accepted recovery advices that flexible eating and recovery is good, right? But actually, they want to follow this because it allows you to still have some rules in recovery. It allows you to, okay, well, I'm increasing my intake, but I'm doing it in a safe way where I'm still holding on to some rules. And the eating disorder loves this because the eating disorder in recovery, it's always going to try and stay with you and be part of your recovery. The eating disorder might be a bit like, okay, fine, fine. You know, extreme restriction. Okay, fine. Okay, I can agree not doing that anymore, but... We need to do something else. Let's make some rules about food. Let's exclude certain things. Let's start a healthy, clean eating journey. So be aware of how the eating disorder will just always try and take the seat. And you might think, oh yeah, but isn't that okay? Like, who cares? Like, if I give the eating disorder a little bit, isn't that fine? But it's like that expression, give someone an inch and they run a mile. I think that's the expression at least. But basically, if you give the eating disorder a little bit, it will take a lot. And you will go through recovery wondering why you're still panicking when you are at a restaurant eating out and getting the menu in front of you. And you'll be like, why? Why? But I've been recovering. I've been eating all of this food. Why? And I was like, yeah, but did you give your eating disorder a space to decide what you're eating? Did you eliminate foods that you felt were unsafe? And did you do this? in under the disguise of health because if you're sitting there being insanely stressed at the restaurant because you're not sure if they have your specific type of salad then that's not healthy (laughs) even on like on a biological level it's not healthy you're out there pumping out stress hormones which is not good for the body it's you'll be so much healthier just having some pizza with friends it's okay Another thing that the eating disorder loves to do is to healthify, right? I don't even know if healthify is a word, but I use it all the time. So for instance, imagine it's okay, you've agreed, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go eat pizza, I'm gonna go eat pizza, right? But then you notice you get the, you know, whole grain or gluten-free version. Again, not saying gluten-free is always disordered. If you have celiac disease, of course, that's natural selection, right? But you start, you know, you try and get what you deem to be the healthier option. And then you have like the low fat cheese on. And then you're like, oh, for I'm going to have vegetables on the pizza, right? So you start healthifying the pizza. And then afterwards, you're like, yay, I ate pizza, recovery win. And don't get me wrong. It's good that you challenge a fear of pizza. Maybe that was, I guess, the starting stone, stepping stone for you. But also be aware if you're constantly healthifying foods, then that is also your eating disorder taking some space and control of your recovery. So your eating disorder may be like, okay, fine, we'll eat pizza, but we will have the low-fat cheese, the topping will be mushrooms or some kind of vegetable, and we will have that, the pizza, the cauliflower pizza bottom. I don't actually never try that. I don't know if I ever want to try that. (laughs) What is it about putting cauliflower in everything? Like literally everything. Like I saw some people say like cauliflower rice. It does not, cauliflower does not taste like rice. Cauliflower is amazing, it's delicious, but it tastes like cauliflower and should be used as such. Anyways, be aware of this urge to healthify. So yeah, essentially, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, when you really unpack this desire to eat so-called healthy, you will often see that it's not necessarily about actual health, it is about control. 
Because if it was about actual health, you will allow yourself some flexibility. Some mornings you might want some cereal and then maybe you want some cake and then maybe you want an apple. This is a part of normal intuitive eating. And this may not always come natural in recovery and it could be like you must actively tell yourself, okay, I'm gonna challenge myself today. I noticed in when I was in recovery myself many, many years ago now, I, I had a big problem with always wanting to healthify things and always pick what I deemed a healthier option. That was the bigger problem. The calorie intake itself, I mean, it, it was challenging, but it was not as challenging because I kind of knew, you know, the science behind it. I knew that I needed it. I was very determined, you know, to fix my metabolism, all of these things, right? But actually challenging myself to have, you know, the white bread instead of the whole grain bread, these things was very challenging. But I am so glad I did it because it was so rewarding. And now sometimes I'll have the white bread and sometimes I have the whole grain bread, depending on what I feel like. And also it's okay to have preferences. For instance, I really like whole grain bread. I don't know, I'm Norwegian, so maybe that's why I think, I think it's just really tasty whole grain bread with lots of seeds and stuff. But when it comes to pasta, I don't really think whole grain pasta is nice. I tend to eat white pasta, right? But I needed to try both to develop my preference and realize what was preference and what was the eating disorder deciding. As if all your preferences just so happen to be the preferences that the eating disorder agree with, then it could be that those are not really preferences or that they are preferences, but for the wrong reason. They're preferences because they make you less anxious rather than because they please your taste buds. And even if you have a specific preference, it's also okay to challenge it. So for example, even though I really like rye bread, I also, in recovery, had to really be making an active decision to also eat some white bread as well. And it's not that I don't like white bread. I love white bread. I have that all as well, right? But it's just like it, when I go to the bakery to buy myself a bread, I like to get like rye bread, you know, like especially like Scandinavian, like, oh, that was so good. Scandinavian, like rye bread. So, so nice. But I also had to be mindful not to use that as a reason not to eat white bread. Be like, oh yeah, no, I prefer I prefer rye bread, so I'm not going to challenge my fear of, of white bread. It's a preference, right? Challenge your preferences as well. So let's get back to the question once again that I've tried to answer throughout this episode. And that is, what is healthy? What does it even mean? What is healthy? And as I have probably kind of answered already, it's individual, it's relative. And also making it an extreme focus is not always the best thing to do because that can very often become very rigid and compulsive and obsessive and also has a tendency of steering people in the wrong direction you know towards orthorexia or maintaining orthorexia but something you're already struggling with but if we if we go a bit into it right if we go a bit into it what is healthy you know how do we define it is it something that has a lot of vitamins in it fair enough okay but also <laughs> Take for instance, vitamin C. Often people say, oh, fruit and vegetable is healthy because it has a lot of vitamin C. I mean, vitamin C is super important for us, but it's not like the more vitamin C you eat, the healthier you are. You need to fit your daily needed intake of it, right? And also your body is not actually gonna suffer if you have a bit of a period where you don't eat fruit and vegetables. Because I see so many people in recovery, especially if they've been you know, eating a lot of fruit and vegetables in the rating disorder, and then they go through recovery, maybe having extreme hunger, they tend not to crave it. You're not going to go <laughs> vitamin deficient in like, in recovery, like boom, overnight, right? It's not like that. But basically, yes, if we, if we define healthy as something with a lot of different vitamins, then I mean, fair enough, but <laughs> that you don't, it's not like you, there is a limit to how much your body can absorb from those vitamins. And then of course, it's the diet culture definition of healthy as low calorie, right? 
that is so, so, so not true because calorie is literally the fuel that keeps us alive. And if you're an eating disorder recovery, calories is specifically important because you need to be in calorie surplus for restrictive eating disorder recovery to heal a lot of the mental and physical damage. So is high protein, does that mean healthy? Protein is something we all need, but we don't need excessive amounts of it. It's not like the more protein you eat, the more muscular you grow. That's not how it works. Yes, we need protein, but again, there is a bit of a limit to how much protein our body can actually use, right? Okay, so is low fat healthy? Of course not. We need fats. Fats is essential for us. And then is low carb healthy? No, carbs is also so, so important. It's our brain's preferred fuel. Okay, so is processed foods, is that unhealthy? Again, no, processed foods is a completely fair thing to eat. So many of the so-called health foods are also processed. Take like protein bars, for example. That's a processed food. Processed foods are convenient, they're easy, you know, they can be good when you have, you know, maybe not so much time grabbing something on the go. It is a completely normal part of being a human being to eating processed foods. And this goes with packaged food, packaged foods, canned foods, etc., etc. These also sometimes get a bad rap, which is kind of ironic because a lot of the health foods you see, for instance, fruits, vegetables, beans, these things are often frozen, packaged, uh, canned, etc., etc. Eating only like fresh fruits straight from the fruit market—that's kind of unrealistic. And also, like, it will be quite hard to fit your daily energy intake just doing that. A food being processed is not necessarily a food being bad. And even a food that is often deemed bad by diet culture may not be bad for you. There are just so many scaremongering myths around foods. For instance, sugar is a typical one, you know, where it's like, oh, sugar addiction, you know, sugar has the same effect on the brain as Coke. And I think I've spoken about this before, but this has been debunked. But actually what you do see is that people who ban themselves from sugar will tend to, of course, have, you know, a so-called addictive pattern around sugary foods because forbidden fruits taste the sweetest. If you're deprived, of course, you're going to want to eat more of that. This is why you see people who ban themselves from eating chocolate will tend to binge on chocolate, just an example. So you may feel sugar addicted, but is it really a thing in the same way as someone is addicted to, for instance, a specific drug? No, there's no scientific basis for that. Ironically, what I often see when people are self-identifying as sugar addicted, often the best way to actually get rid of that so-called addiction or the addictive behavior around sugary foods, such as, you know, feeling unable to stop eating something sugary when you started, is actually by eating more sugar and implementing more sugar throughout the day and the week and allowing yourself access to those foods you have restricted yourself from. This is, of course, the complete opposite of drug addiction. So for instance, if someone imagine someone is addicted to cocaine, then of course the solution would not be to do more cocaine, right? The whole like metaphor of food as a drug and la la la, and like, oh, it, it doesn't quite fit. When you go and look at it at like a neurological level or a biological level or a psychological level, you go and look at it, dig into it. It doesn't fit that model. It may subjectively feel like it. And I think that's, you can validate someone's experience feeling addicted to foods or specific foods, right? But it does not fit the same model as drug addiction in that same way. I also think a common reason why people get hung up on eating so-called healthy in recovery is just like recovery perfectionism where they want to do recovery what they think is perfectly right so they're like okay i'm gonna refeed my body but i need to refeed my body in the most perfect predictable controlled way and this of course is not really how recovery works right because recovery just per definition recovery is a bit 
unpredictable, messy, you know, trial and error. You will have moments where you're confused about your own hunger. You will have moments where your stomach hurts because you're so full. This is part of recovery. There is no such thing as a perfect recovery. And be mindful not to take the eating as sort of perfectionism and applying it to recovery. Instead, accept the inherent imperfectionism of recovery. Accept that it's going to be a bit messy. Accept that you're going to feel a bit out of control and confused and, oh my God, who am I? What am I doing? Whoa. And you might also feel like, oh my God, I'm doing this wrong. You know, I think pretty much everyone I talk to in recovery have this idea that they're doing recovery wrong. And don't get me wrong, you know, of course, if you're someone who's like heavily restricting in recovery, then yeah, <laughs> maybe that's not like the ideal way to do recovery, right? But also be mindful of being, you know, hyper-focusing on, oh my God, I need to do everything right. I need to eat this exact amount of this amount of protein, this amount of fat, this amount of carbohydrates, how that can just be another manifestation of the eating disorder and its rigidity. So one thing that I often see is when people start recovery, they're kind of like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I need to challenge these very orthorexic food rules. But where do I begin? I don't even know what I like. I, I like, I, where do I start, right? And an advice that I come and give to my clients is, okay, think back to before your eating disorder and also even think back of when you were a child, right? What were some of your food favorites when you were a child? And very often people will say, for example, oh, certain cereals or certain cookies or, you know, these kind of things, right? And the reason why I specifically say childhood is because very often there will be some fond memories around these foods, right? Like I know for myself, I was really, really into cereal as a kid. I still am, right? And in my recovery, I was very like, oh my God, I don't even know what foods I like anymore. I don't know how to start. And for me, actually going back and and eating some of the cereal that I ate when I was a child was actually very, very helpful. Same thing with a lot of snacks, like for instance, these little cookies that I would eat as a child. I knew I liked them before, so I would implement them again. So if you feel completely confused and overwhelmed, take a little look at what were you eating as a child and could some of that maybe still be something you like? Of course, it's not like we like still everything we like as a child. You know, there's certain things I eat as a child that, that I don't really fancy now, but a lot of times it could be it could be like a good place to start, right? And you might find that there are some foods that you completely forgotten about that you actually really enjoy. And also, again, you may have positive memories around them, which can make it even easier. Again, not saying it's necessarily easy because you're challenging your fear food, but can make it at least, at least a little bit more maybe comfortable, right? So once again, to conclude, health is relative. Do not fall for the common diet culture explanation of what healthy is. If you're someone who's undernourished, you know, restricted yourself, in recovery, disordered relationship to food, terrified, and you're at a restaurant and you're choosing the burger instead of the salad, then chances are that is the healthiest for you. Not just mentally because of your recovery, but also physically. I mean, if you're undernourished and you desperately need to eat in calorie surplus, then actually ordering the higher calorie version of the food would be the healthier the bit to do for you. So investigate how diet culture and you know society in general have painted your view of healthy and see if this actually aligns with what healthy is for you. Because I think if you do some actual reflection, you will kind of realize that mm, it's not. Recovery is all about making the eating disorder uncomfortable and doing the opposite actions of what the eating disorder wants. So please be mindful of how the eating disorder will try and take the steering wheel in your recovery and don't fall for it. Call it out. Do the opposite. Opposite actions every day, every single meal. 
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And now I'm going to answer a listener question. So to kind of paraphrase and shorten it a bit, what the person is asking is, is it normal in recovery to even when you're done with your extreme hunger, you kind of gotten your hunger signals back, is it normal to still constantly have like an urge to eat when there's food around, right? For example, if you're around someone who's eating chocolate and there's a bowl of chocolate and they're eating chocolate, you just have to have it even though you don't necessarily want it. And essentially what I got from the email was that the person was a bit concerned that, oh my God, am I going to just be always feeling like I need to eat when there's food around or I'll fall back into restriction. And here's the thing. This is so, so, so common. And I also had some of it myself. So essentially, even though you may be done with extreme hunger, you may have noticed that your mental hunger has gone away and you kind of become overall more relaxed with food. You still have had a long period where you have been forbidding yourself from foods, right? Certain foods. And you've been working hard on your recovery. And it's very, very natural that you will want to do a lot of things to preserve that. And because you have, you know, recently been in scarcity, it's completely normal that a bit of the scarcity mindset is still there. And that as a result, you think, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to need to have all the chocolate, right? It is completely normal. Think of it this way. Imagine if you're someone who's very poor, right? And then you win the lottery. You're probably still, even though you just won the lottery, you're probably still going to have some urges to, you know, save. But here's the thing this tends to settle down with time. For example, if you're someone who won the lottery, and then eventually, probably with time, you're going to be less frugal because you're going to get used to the fact that there is an abundance of money. And in the same way with eating disorder recovery, in the beginning, you might be kind of petrified, falling into restriction. And when there's food around, you just grab it almost out of like a habit or a need to preserve your recovery or just because it just, that's what you feel like. It's completely normal. It's completely fine. Because there might be a part of your brain and body subconsciously or consciously that is scared that you're going to starve it again. Scared that there is not going to be an abundance of food. I had the exact same thing in my recovery where whenever there was food around, I just had to have. Even if I didn't really want it, I just had to have it. And now, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, you know. I mean, I love food. So, you know, for instance, if I'm somewhere and it's food, I, of course, I, because I enjoy food and generally have a good appetite, I'll tend to grab something. But it's not like in the same way that I kind of feel like, oh, I have to, you know, because it's been so long and I have not restricted myself. My brain and body has essentially really started trusting me that I'm not going to starve it again, right? But when we are fresh out of recovery or maybe still even in recovery, it's quite unrealistic that your body and brain is trusting you so soon. So is it normal? Yes, it's completely normal. And it tends to lessen gradually with time as long as you do not restrict yourself. I still remember in my own recovery, like the first moments where I was having like a bowl of, I think it was like a bowl of sweets. And I actually just didn't, didn't genuinely like physically feel like eating the whole thing, right? Not for disordered reason. I just genuinely felt like, oh, I'll have a bit of that later, you know? And it's kind of almost a little bit sketchy, like risky to say that because I hope people don't take this as like a reason not to finish their food right I'm talking about when I was after my recovery right because I had that thing where I always needed to finish everything always need to finish what was on my plate and that was what I needed at that point because I was restricted and also I really needed to finish what was on my plate because I really needed to eat (laughs) get those calories in right 
but then as I had been energy balanced, recovered, weight restored for some time, then I was more able to, you know, I could have some snack, have a pack of cookies, I could eat some, and then I would kind of, they would kind of just lay there, I'd kind of forget about them, I'd have some later, right? Whilst in recovery, I would be like, oh my god, I need to finish that, because there was a part of my brain that thought, oh well, you're not going to have that, you know, there, there's a part of my brain that didn't trust that I was going to give myself that access, right? So yes, it's normal. I wouldn't be too worried. It is just kind of a phase of recovery that's pretty natural and it will eventually tend to lessen down with time as long as you do not restrict yourself. Okay guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I also am very happy to take episode topic requests, episode questions. I tend to take and open like a little ask box in the stories on letsrecover.co.uk uh, Instagram, let'srecover.co.uk or at Instagram, Amalia Lee. So do stay tuned there if you want to have some some questions answered or want to take some requests or no. Yeah, because I always like to listen to you guys, you know, what you like to listen, not like to hear more of. And also, do you know what? Sometimes actually I'm almost running a bit out of ideas here because I create episodes weekly and I've been doing that for many, many weeks. And it's like, wow, what else is there to cover? But I always find that there's something to cover. Okay, guys, have a lovely, lovely day and week ahead. And I look forward to talking with you next week.